This is Walk the Walk, the only place to learn from the best black icons in the business. Hello and welcome to episode three of Walk the Walk podcast. I'm Hannah Nikani and this new series is helping me find out who I aspire to be. Each week I interview inspiring black icons from different industries to find out how they learned to walk the walk in their career. So far, I've spoken to icons from Gymshark about starting a business from nothing, 7-6 Agency about what it really takes to be an influencer, and I've also lined up people from BBC Radio 1 Extra, Glamour Magazine, and even Apprentice finalists about their career journeys and secrets to success. But this week's podcast is a first. Brother duo Mark and Peter McIver, also known as Slider Cuts and PMAC Fitness. As two brothers taking over their industries by storm, Mark has made slider cuts a globally recognised barbers. He's the man behind the trims of Louis Vuitton catwalks, Anthony Joshua's fight nights, as well as rappers, TV presenters and comedians Fresh Shape Ups. Peter, on the other hand, is leading the way as a celebrity personal trainer, having transformed the figures of celebrities like Marvin Humes from the boy band JLS, TV personality Reggie Yates and even I'm a Celebrity's Giovanna Fletcher, both Mark and Peter are no stranger to hard work. I'll be finding out what they really were like growing up, all their dishy dirt on each other, how they built businesses from scratch and what it's like to work with so many celebrity clients. Please like, follow, subscribe and all that jazz, you know how it goes. And let's get started. Hi, Peter. Hi, Mark. And welcome to Walk the Walk podcast. Now, we are going to jump straight into the question section. We want to learn everything about the people behind the businesses. So I'm going to kick it straight off. Head to you, Mark. I want to know if you could rewind to any point in your life and relive it. When would it be and why? 17. I don't know what year that was when I was 17. 2001, 2002. Oh my gosh, no messing around there. You knew. Do you know what? That was the age when I felt like I got a lot more responsibilities, but I didn't have any real responsibilities. So it meant that I was able to kind of like, to some degree, do what, what I want, you know, staying out later as I wanted, you know, going to certain places. But I didn't have the responsibilities of paying bills still and all those things there. So I remember at the time just saying, I feel like this is the best age ever. And I felt that at that time. So yeah, that was a really good year for me. I just, I just enjoyed myself. I took that age for granted. Like, you know, when all your parents say, these are the best years of your life. And you're like, yeah, yeah, mum. All right, cool. And then you look back, you think, oh my gosh, Peter, if you could rewind to any time in your life, what year would it be? Probably when we were nine, ten, because we were all at home. I would do nothing. The journey is the fun part, but I think when you're nine to ten, your biggest problem is like, do your like who do you want to invite to your birthday party? That's that's the biggest drama you're probably going to have is looking at the playground, being like, you're not coming to my party. Oh, we, we can afford that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so knowing that both of your favourite times in life was when you were younger, if we were to roll it all the way back, go to school and ask your teachers. What were you really like as kids growing up? What would they say? How are they going to describe you? They probably would have said um, happy or joyful. Oh my God, I think that's so nice. My teachers would definitely never describe me as such positive words. They'd have been like, she was a little brat. Peter, what are they saying about you? Come on, dish the dirt. I was, I was a nuisance in school. I didn't care. I was kidding. I was trying to make sure people knew I was there. Oh my God, Peter, me and you were literally the same back in the day. Like I was absolutely, I was just a nuisance in the back of the class, wasting my days and evenings in detention. It was just absolutely shocking. 
I, I never did detention because I knew that I, I, I wouldn't come to detention. I was I was suspended quite a lot, like nine times. I got expelled, I, got, I got expelled once, but I got put back. I got allowed back in. I think it's hilarious how much of a polar opposite you guys were growing up. <laughs> like the fact that one of you describes yourself as joyful, and then Peter's over here being like, "Actually, I was complete carnage." But I do think it's like that. My sister was the complete goody two shoes, head in a book, like so sensible, so switched on, top grades. My brother was like absolute carnage at times, but he was like the wild creative. And then I was like somewhere in between. But I feel like it does give you a little bit of leeway when you've got like someone that behaves themselves. When you're the one that goes a bit rogue, they're a little bit nicer to you. They're like, oh, come on. I don't know why I probably stayed because Mark was there because he thought if he's good and he's bad, there must be something going wrong. 100% you got lucky, Peter. (laughs) So we have been in lockdown now for, I can't even remember how long, it is unimaginable. But I'm always curious to learn what people have been doing with their time, new things they've picked up. Mark, what are you doing differently? What is keeping you going? I cooked a lot, so I probably did that the most. Um, I exercised a little bit, but I cooked a lot. Since lockdown, I think I've mastered my jollof rice. My jerk chicken I make, I think I mastered that as well. I feel like jollof rice is hard because everyone does it slightly different. Everyone gets taught slightly different. Yeah, no, I've, I've done it wrong a lot. Peter, what did you do most in lockdown? Is it the ab roller? The ab roller thing was basically, I set myself a challenge to do the ab roller for the whole pandemic. The ab roller for me is just is just too much. Like you make it look easy. You're doing it every day. You're putting it all over social media. You're making me feel unhealthy. But I also know that I wouldn't even last in about four. I'd be absolutely exhausted. Okay, so then we're spending all this time in lockdown. You definitely, definitely start to realise what is important to you. The things you can and can't live without. If you had to now pick two things that you know you could never live without again, what would it be? Exercise and women. Peter, you, I just love the quickness at your response. There's no no second guessing on that one. Mark, what are you saying? I guess there's obvious things like my family. We were talking about kind of like more like things, friends, our community. I know it always, it always comes down to it always comes down to people. I enjoy creating content. I could obviously live without it, but I do enjoy making content a lot. But if you had to do two tangible items, would you take your phone as one of them? If so, if there's a solar powered phone out there. I'm taking the phone. Yeah, I agree. Whoever makes a soda pan a phone, they are literally, they're doing the most right now. They are quids in. As the two first siblings to join the Walk the Walk podcast, it's only right that we ask you to dish the dirt on each other. What is your favourite hilarious memories of each other growing up? There's something, I don't know if he even remembers this, is he got beat on the balcony because he was swearing at some schoolgirls when we were kids. He was telling them to <laughs> F off and all of that kind of stuff there. And my mum was walking, because you can't see, my mum was walking underneath the balcony. So my mum came up the stairs and he was still saying, oh, F off, this and that, and all that kind of stuff there. And my mum, I don't know if she smacked him or pulled him back or something like that in front of, her, in front of everyone as he was cussing and, you know, getting at these girls. Do you actually remember that? No. Nah. It's like I've blacked it from my memory. It's it's better for everyone. I've blacked it. I love moments like that. Peter, what is your funniest memory that you remember of Mark? I remember when he threw the brush at me, but for, for weeks there was a hole in the window. And I didn't know why there was a hole in the window. And I realised, oh, sh- oh my God, you threw a brush at me and the brush is missing now. So it's gone through the window. Remember that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know it was the brush went through the window either. For some reason, the window didn't smash. So I just put a clean hole yeah. into the window. Who told your mum this happened? Well, she didn't know because it was just, it wasn't broken. It was just like a little hole in the window. So she, she didn't even know, like, you just put sellotape over it. She probably doesn't remember. remember. <laughs> it's one of those moments where then she's one day's asked and you're like, oh, I don't know, it must just be the weather. 
The thing is, in reality, you are actually very, very close. What is your favourite thing about each other? The things that people wouldn't know from behind the scenes? Peter has the knack. He knows how to make money. Not as a favourite thing, it's a good trait, should I say. He knows he has a knack of doing that. Business-minded from the beginning. Yeah. Saying that, you know how to make money out of nothing. You can buy a house with, with no money. The difference between me and Peter is Peter knows how to make money and knows how to, to accumulate um, cash. I think I kind of know how to... Use cash. Use cash more so and just make things happen. So yeah, I have bought a house with no money. Like, you know, I did, I accepted it. I went and bought a house, I had no money. When you say you bought a house with no money, I have no money. Can I buy a house? You can, yeah. So like, I bought a few houses. Um, Let's say the last one I bought was about four or five years ago, maybe something like four years ago. I literally had zero. It's, it sounds ridiculous, right? To be honest. But I had to put down £150,000. So I had to put down £125,000 for the deposit and then I had to put down like £24,000 for the stamp duty because I was a buy to let but I know I needed it it's a property I'm living in now so I was like I want this property that's a property I'm going to live in in the future especially as my family grows and went to the people they told me the price I said okay no problem mortgage broker the bank they said yeah this is what you're going to need I said no problem then I had three months to raise that money and it's happened same thing like you know my shop my business you know that was like a project that cost, you could say, £200,000. And even when I said yes to that with the lease I was buying, because the lease cost like £65,000. And the man said, yeah, you can have it. And I said, okay, cool. And I was like, oh, wow, I've got no money. And the funny thing is that happened just after I bought the house. I feel like we've just discovered the risk taker in this room. Yeah, I've lost money. I've lost loads of money, like tens of thousands. Things like that, when you lose it, you end up working next time how to be more savvy. But I love that Peter's just sitting here looking at us like... I could have more than him easily but i've bought material stuff which i don't need to buy i've got free watching why do i need free watches for like really and like i'll get a nice car he'll get a car that could get from a to b i would get like fancy lights in my house he'll just get normal lights. i'm you where i'm like i see things like those trainers look really nice and then a year later i'll be like why have i bought those trainers i've worn them once what, one thing i'm not into i'm, I'm not into designers like that definitely not into designers like, that. like literally i'm air force ones or transmiss i i live in my work clothes so my Air Force ones that I bought three years ago, do I haven't worn them. Okay, my last question before we get into your careers. Now we've discovered how savvy you are, we've got to work this out. What would you say your best career achievement is to date? It's, it's twofold. Building my shop, Slider Cut Studios, and what comes underneath that is not only like building the shop, it's kind of like what I built from it. Because, you know, Slider Cuts as a brand now has about, you know, 16 to 20 employees. You know, everyone's getting paid. Everyone's making money. So that, as a business thing, has been my you could say, greatest achievement because I've never even thought I would ever be in a position where one, people's livelihoods are reliant on me and two, I could be in a position where I've got all of these people working and they're all making money and now this person is getting married and paid for the expensive wedding. Then, you know, this person's buying a house now and this person's buying a car and now these people are going on holiday and this, these different things, right? And being in a position where, you know, I've created the space and whatever you want to call it to allow people to be able to... Um, do those things and make money. So yeah, that's my greatest achievement. You know, building Slider Cut Studios slash the brand Slider Cuts and being able to have all these employees and pay people. I do think that is amazing. I don't know if everybody listening to this will know this, but I think it's so important to say that everybody that works at Slider Cuts is black. And we've had this conversation before, Mark, where you were like, it was really important to me to make sure that I gave back to my community, that when I rose up and I created this empire, that I wanted to make sure that those in my community also benefited from it. So it's so amazing to think you created a business from nothing. And like you said, now it's doing so well that actually you've created success within the community of other people that weren't in that position as well. Thanks. Peter, what's your greatest achievement today? Buying a house or a flat for over a half a million for me. When you come from a council home and everyone around you is a council home and you think to yourself that 
do you know what? How do I get to cancel this? I get my own cancel flat. And after go from the mum's house to your first house and the second house is a half a million, then after you're like, okay, cool. Maybe I can get to a million next. And you start thinking, oh my God. And you start thinking, oh my God. I, I'm, talking, I'm talking like a million, like it's only one pound. That is one of my big things on my list is that my parents to this day don't own their house. And, and that's fine. Like that's their decision. The idea of being able to buy a house and then being able to buy a house for that much. It's like, oh my God, like I've really... I've really taken everything from my upbringing and put it into my career and then my future. Like it's such an, it's, I think it's a huge achievement buying a house. Do you think your upbringing helped you both to be more savvy when it comes to business and sort of more focused on the end goal? Like, would you say that's impacted how you behave and how you approach things now? I think subconsciously, I think my mom always trying stuff, even though like nothing fully worked. But growing up, she was always trying something new. She was selling chinchin, she was selling plantain crisps. She was doing Ava and whatever ones were around at that time of, you know, selling this and products and then catering. And then, you know, she's back in uni studying to be a psychologist. Probably subconsciously, constantly seeing my mum do different things and always trying to do um, something different. Probably fed us and made us kind of like be doers. You watched her mentality of hard work and then it's really hard not to adopt that yourself. Yeah. I think it is very unusual for two brothers to do so well and to build such big brands and such big businesses literally by yourselves it's not like you guys have had a handout or you've done it with business partners for example do you now help each other in business or do you think now it's like we've got to this point and actually we just have to both hustle as hard as we can and eyes on the prize it will never be eyes on the prize for me if he's in there i'm in there if he's just i'm stressed because it, even like for example, if I had forty k and he needs forty k, he gets forty k. He knows that straight away. So it's never going to be eyes on the prize. If he has to pay his work, his workers and he can't afford it, then I then I have to make find the money or someone else has to find the money. So it it will never be all all nothing. It's all about if he's okay, I'm okay because that's how life is. It's nice though that you are to the point where like even in the successes that you are having, the fundamentals are that your successes are equal and your struggles are equal. And that's such a rare thing to find. I think it's amazing. Let's go ask me that. Our struggles are not equal. Mine <laughs> are much easier than his. Mine are much easier. I have no kids. I have no dependents. I've got my own flat. He's got two kids, a wife, a business. I understand that more than anything. So... I will never say, yeah, I'm struggling more. I do love that, Peter, regardless, you are always there as a support for Mark and that he has you 100% to fall back on if he needs to. That is 100% true family. Talking of support outside of that, though, you both have an amazing client base. You both, Peter, you personal train in fitness, different TV stars, musicians, actors, and, and the same for you, Mark. You've got olympic athletes coming in to get their hair done radio presenters you know how have you found it to attract those clients it can't be easy how difficult has it been to build a client base of core you know everyday people but as well having famous big name celebrities come and work with you all the time getting clients was the easy part in a sense of if you work hard and you focus on your craft then you're almost guaranteed to get Clients, especially in a career or a field where most people, unfortunately, aren't that serious. It means that you set out for some of the small things you do, like, you know, being polite becomes a real bonus. And it's like, well, that's not really, that's really should be a standard, you know, turning up on time, 
becomes a thing that people really start appreciating. In other fields, you don't really appreciate the fact that someone turns up on time. That's just, you should turn up on time, you know, and being reliable and just like being trustworthy. You know, because even especially when you talk about celebrity clients, they need trust. That's one thing they definitely need. I could see someone arguing with their missus, arguing with their mum, whatever it is, you know, and it could be something which you could go out there and be like, oh, let, let me tell everyone that I saw X, Y, and Z doing this. You know where people live. There's such a level of trust that you have to have mutually with each other trust is so important to deal with the caliber of people that you two are both engaging with all the time but i think you're right about being good at your craft because i think male barbers just absolutely baffle me like i've never known anything like it right females we book our hair in months in advance male barbers like mark i don't know how you do it people just rock up and they expect you to be ready and they expect you to have a chair ready for them and they don't want to sit in the chair that they're not normally meant to sit in but also a barber shop is like so much more than a barber shop i remember growing up I grew up in the whitest town in the world. Like literally, I was the only black family in my school. Like there was just, that was it. And so I remember to get our hair done was literally impossible. We had to drive all the way from the edge of Somerset, Devon, all the way into Bristol over about an hour. And it used to be so funny because me and my sister would go into the salon. We'd be there for literally hours. And I'd always wonder where my dad was. Like I just thought like maybe he's doing errands. My dad would sit in the barbershop yeah. for the day. People get their haircut and still chill just talking after their haircut. But now that's out of choice. It's not out of kind of like necessity where they're waiting all day to get the haircut. Peter, how about you? When you're a barber, everyone's a haircut. You know, it's more of a lap. Even like even today, like it's hard because you compete with the. Well, she said this. I'm like, okay, cool. But she's been in the industry for three months, so now you have to uh, now you've got to compete with that. It is easier for me to get clients than everyone else. That's why I charge a lot more than they because I don't want to be fighting around clients. But then again, it is harder because of the and everybody needs to be healthy yeah i think this is one of the things that i really want to touch on is that i find social media amazing and draining all in one and i think peter like you hit the nail on the head in terms of you have to compete in an industry where people with no qualifications just because they have a nice ring light and a camera set up all of a sudden everyone's watched a few instagram videos of them doing fitness and then they're like that's a pt that's qualified and I've seen like even on your Instagram recently where people think they people think the internet gives them the power to say whatever they want. And the same mark with you is that like I saw yesterday, like Auntie Joshua's had his fight and people are writing on your thing being like, You only posted this because you won. Actually, no, look at all the fights he's been part of. You've always posted win or lose his haircuts. Like you're not just there for the hype of it all. Like, and I think that's the same for both of you. How do you deal with your lives are very public in terms of your professional careers? How do you deal with that instant feedback? Because sometimes you don't ask and people are ruthless. Do you know what? Do you know what? Like over the last three or four weeks, I've tried to be controversial on purpose. That's because there's another PT out there and I, I don't mention his name. And he swears a lot. What people are there, the only one who can get away with swearing because he's white. Yeah, if you did it, you'd be unprofessional. You'd be aggressive. I might say something like, like last week, my post about it's your fault if you're overweight, if you're fault to skinny. But I'm like, oh, if I change that fault to responsibility, people wouldn't be complaining. But if, if I would have swore, I would have been, a, I would have been the aggressive black person. If you, if you would have swore, oh yeah, he's funny, ha ha ha. So it's like, if you're black, you have to be twice as nice. Do you feel like you take that into consideration when every time you do a post? Like, because I do think now, I'm thankful for 2020 in the sense that people's ears and eyes are open more than ever before. But also I feel like the judgment has just gone through the roof at the moment. And I feel like it's, Sometimes it's too much. Like I have to delete social media. I think, oh, I've had enough. And I'm not, I'm a nobody. Nobody knows who I am. Do you feel like you take it into consideration with content that you put up and the way you behave? Like, I know I can't swear. I know I can't, I know I can't swear. Like, I, I might say dickhead. And even when I say that, 
am I aggressive or even shut up or piss off? Like, 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 these are three words that I, I might use, but even those two, I'm like, uh, but, you, but you get up to say C-U-N-T and F-U-C-K and I'm like, oh my God. And you get, you get comments, oh, you're so funny. And that's because of the color of their skin. People say they hate this year, but I've loved this year. I, I, like, I, I think this has been one of the best years of my life. Like, it came time to relax. My mum always says, don't be in the right place at the wrong time. Like, how many you see more black people now on TV because of Black Lives Movement? But that movement wouldn't have got any attention if, there was, if it was in life of normal. Yeah, I do definitely agree. I do think that we've had so much time doing minimal that actually it's unavoidable, the news. I've never seen so many people rally behind different causes, different movements, and news and like people have never been this informed and people it's so funny because people are like oh my god this never happened before and I'm like no it did happen you just were so busy that you didn't know these things were happening this wasn't new like I think you're both very good at the way you conduct yourself on social media and like I think you're very good at your responses because you don't respond to everybody because also some people don't deserve your time or responses but I think the way in which you both conduct yourself in the responses that you select to go to are very good. Like, Mark, your comment yesterday that I read when you were like, win or lose, I will always support my client. Like, I will always support the people that come into my school. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't mind it because it's just people with time on their hands and also just like, you know, that's what social media has, is now. So everyone has an opinion which they can add. But sometimes it's just stating the obvious, you know, you posted Anthony Joshua, you know, because he won or because he's fighting. Well, yeah, of course I posted him at that time. If he wasn't fighting, would I have posted him at that um, specific time? No. I would have. Would I have posted him? Yes. People just met him and got pictures of him were posting it at that time because obviously that makes sense. I think one thing people forget as well is that as a barber, it's not the same as if you're a clothing brand endorsement. It's not like they're walking out wearing an Under Armour logo or wearing a Slider Cuts logo underneath it for promotion. So there's nothing wrong with you taking video footage while it's happening and then, of course, posting it at the time that he's fighting because how else are people going to know that his fresh trim comes from you? How are they going to know that he's a loyal customer of yours and things like that? It, it would be silly for you not to work with that opportunity and it's the same for like Louis Vuitton and things I know you work with Louis Vuitton all the time on their catwalks people aren't going to know as they run down a catwalk oh yeah Mark slider cuts they did that hairstyle so it makes sense for you to take that footage and then expose it at the best moments in time for people to be out there looking for more information about them is it easy to step back from the criticism you get in comments and things like that, though? Or do you get stuck in and you've got to go back? I don't get caught up in responses. So for me, my thing is always to um, is either explain to the customer something or is to just go along with what the customer's saying. So I get like people who message me in my inbox or outbox who say things like, you know, um, you, I find you annoying, you know, or something along the lines, you know, I don't, you know, you irritate me or something along those lines, right? It's like, cool, you know, I, I just laugh and say, yeah, you know, or, you know, I appreciate that you still watch me. Most of the people, and this is like probably 95%, maybe even more, where every single time someone's responded to me and they've insulted me or dissed me, every time I've responded back to them, they've always responded back by saying, you know what, I was just joking, or do you know what, I didn't think you were going to see it, or, oh, do you know what, I'm sorry, do you know what, I was just I was just talking, you know, just to get attention or something like that, right? Because I always respond like, you know what, I, I appreciate it. Someone said to me once, you know, oh, you've got too much teeth in your mouth. You know, you really irritate me. I just said, LOL, you know what? You're right. I do have people in my mouth. What can I do about it, though? I can't even believe people are brave enough to say things that, like that to you, Mark. Like, it actually, I just can't believe it. What you notice is 95% of the time, people who comment on your story have no profile picture. 
Now, one thing I'd love to know is you've grown up with the support of each other and the support yeah. of your amazing mum, who is always sending you lovely messages of motivation and support and blessings. If you had to say one black icon that has inspired you and been a bit of an icon, who would you say you have looked up to? I'll say Spoonie, 100%, because even before I started, like he allowed me to use his name so to get nice. myself out there, first client. Um, yeah, Ian Wright, because he was like the big brother in, in the house that you never saw. He was scoring goals for Arsenal. Nicholas Christie. I think that is the first time that I've ever heard say, someone say Ian Wright without being like, right, right, right. <laughs> Mark, who would you say? The people I've looked, I've looked up to, like, you know, Ian Wright was one of the first people I looked up to. I had an ID, the number eight on the back of a red t shirt I had as a kid. Um, you know, Thierry Henry is another person. But these are people which I've like admired. But if it comes to that inspiration to actually into my life, Spoonie, I'd say like what I've respected about him. I was funny. I saw him like last week. I talked to him last week actually. I remember asking him before, "How have you like lasted so long?" Because you're a DJ from the '90s. So why are you still in a place where you know I'll see you on Mastermind? And it's like, why are you still in a place where that is still happening? And it's just kind of like you know, um, he has done the right things. He's more than DJing. Is you know the connections you built is about you know carrying yourself correctly. It's more than you know just you just DJing. It's about how you kind of put yourself out there. And I was speaking to him about it last week, and he was just like you know just doing the right things. And he's saying to me, you know, they're just telling me that he's proud of what I built up. And he's just like you know you just done the right things, and it's you know, it's simple. So you know he's on he definitely who I respect um a lot. And there's other people like um business people where people won't won't know them, where I've just seen them running business, and I'm just like oh bruh, you know what you. I'm seeing what you're doing and I might just be, you might be a client of mine I'm just asking you questions of how you're doing it. I remember like Tiny Temper and Dummy, who's Tiny Temper's manager. I remember going to their office for the first time. I remember that was really, that was a real inspirational moment. I went to their office, that was about, I don't know, four or five years ago, something like that. And I just saw all these people working. At this time I was a barber in a, in a barber shop. So I had like a chair and I saw all these people working and I was just like, what are all these people doing? Because you're a musician, you're the manager, you manage this musician. So why is there so much people in this office? <laughs> like, you know, I get with a couple people, you know, you've got the PA, I get that. You've got the manager, I get that. You know, maybe like a, some of a publicist, you know, I get that. But even at that time, I didn't even understand what a publicist was or a PR person was. So I'm looking at the office, like, you know, that person, the publicist and the PR team. You know, there is um, the people that do the clothing. There are, there's the manager, there's the people that answered the phone, there's the, the runner that runs about doing this and doing that. And I just saw all these, and it's like about 10 to, I feel like it was 10 to 20 people, something like that in the office. And I remember just asking them, what, what are all these people doing here? Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, but that inspired me because I remember thinking to myself about teamwork, you know, and that inspired, you know, that played a big part in how quickly I built up a team. You know, at that point that I had a PA and a Maybe I think I had a publicist, a PA and a publicist at that moment. But that kind of reaffirmed what I was doing and also pushed it further to be like, actually, you need a team in, in, to cover all areas and experts in all areas. So, you know, that, they, they really inspired me. Um, and there's just other people you speak to in, in business. I might be speaking to Anthony Joshua. And, you know, and the thing is, all my clients which are successful in their field, I always speak to them. And I'll speak to them about particularly their craft. So I won't sit there and speak with Anthony about how do you punch this person down? And it was like, with Anthony, how did you build up this thing? Because you bought boxing back. 
so much people, everyone knows it. The reality is Anthony Joshua, as well as his team, him, Eddie Hearn, they bought boxing back, you know, and it's like, what, what made you, what did you do? And the things he told me, a lot of where he's told me, where, you know, things he'd done, which he saw a gap and people don't realise it was something intentional. It wasn't like just, you know, boxing and it happened. You know, the way he put himself out there, you know, the stuff he was doing, the things he was showing, he put himself in a space where he brought boxing back. And those are the things that inspire me. Not just, you know, how do you knock someone out? You know, they're really good, but the business side of things. So yeah, there's quite a few people. I can, I can carry on. I remember when I first met you, Mark, and you said to me, how many barbers do you know that have like all these people around you? And I was like, this is so true. Like you do have a publicist and a, and a PA. And so many people just think, yeah, I'm a barber. Like I do amazing hair. I put it on social media. I get good following. People like come to my shop for that reason. You really have built yourself like a whole network business empire around you. And like you said, picking people that have skill sets in areas that you don't necessarily have and then growing up from it. But also, I think you are you're the only black barber I know that has a white following. <laughs> yeah, I do have a big white following. It is funny. Like I remember when I was opening up the shop, right? And I put out an advert saying, you know, I'm looking for barbers. And in 24 hours, I had about 70 applications. 69 of them were white. Thank you so much for application, but we also do have Afro hair. And how many of you really knew how to deal with that? When I come asking people, you know, so uh, you cut Afro hair, and they're like, I'll learn. I want to learn. I was like, yeah, I'm actually looking for someone who actually cuts, you know, especially that the brand that I already had was already um, bigger than the business I, at the time. The brand and name was bigger. So it's like when I opened up the shop, I needed experience. I bought in junior barbers and stuff like that, but I needed experienced barbers that could cut hair. Because already I already had that brand and that name. So when people were coming in, they needed good haircuts. I didn't need a bunch of people that I was, you know, were training up. And then what would happen is you come for get a haircut and say, oh, it's rubbish in there. But it's all good when you've got a bunch of experienced barbers, then you can take on training barbers and be like, okay, well, these are the junior barbers are learning. But you know, we've got the senior barbers. Yeah, I think when you've built a reputation, it's much easier to then give back because you know you're giving credible advice and guidance because you've got there through merit already and you have more to to share and give back. But I guess with that in mind now, you are both in really great positions within your career, absolutely smashing it individually and together. How important is it for you now to give back? And what do you do? Important for me. For me, it's very important. That big. (laughs) That's why I do the initiatives. That's why I do the runner scheme. That's why I'm always thinking about, you know, how can this business be something that is more than actually just a place you come to and cut your hair, or how can it be doing something? I live like that term giving back because it's become so cliche and everyone kind of like just uses it. But And I always believe anyway, the barbershop is a hub of the community. So it's the perfect place to be used to help people from that community. So I think, you know, all barbershops should be doing initiatives, whether small or big, within those communities, whether it's hiring one young person or two or three young people, you know, whether it's kind of like, making it you know linking up with a job center you literally let people come into your shop and apply for schools yeah like you let people come in and use your computer if they don't have a computer at home we'll help you look for them we'll help you fill in the application you could have reading problems you might literacy problems you might not understand just the, the terminologies you know we've got more more than enough qualified people in the shop that can help you so yeah come through and help get the help peter how about you Obviously, it's not important to understand the country, just point it out. <laughs> Mine's is more or less the scale. I don't believe um, where Slider is in the inspiration world. You're in a different space. Yeah, so basically, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more, of a, more of a I see one world. But you know what? As much as you say that, the fact that you reply to people means that actually you are, that there are so many people that are high profile like yourselves doing 
running businesses, which is exhausting, who actually will never apply, never acknowledge and just just build themselves up as they go. So actually, as much as you say that, and you are in a completely different space in the terms of you're worth the price, you've got the experience to be in that bracket, you've got the clientele that fit in that bracket. It's very rare to have people that are, are approachable and respond like that will respond and engage their audience still. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would you give yourself? Mine would be travel more. Yeah. And spend more money making risk. I've always had money. I've never been like broke in the last 16 years because I've always wanted that safety net. And I should I should have more houses than Mark. I, I bought one and I pulled out last minute because my mom, because my mom gave me the scare factor. But I think that is a good advice to travel more. Yeah. I understand why lots of people don't travel. Don't get me wrong. I completely get it. And also I understand that financially traveling can be expensive. But even if it's just traveling around the UK and things and just getting out of your area to be exposed to different people, different things, I think is so important. Mark, if you could give your youngest one piece of advice what would it be you know i think i'll just say to continue on the road that you're going down because i like the way my life has turned out i took a lot of risks and also i focus a lot on um you know spending time with people i really enjoy that so i would probably say you know just honestly just continue the road you're going and i guess you know i would just say you know don't get distracted by the people around you because obviously where we grew up everybody's into something you know everybody is doing this or doing that and all sorts of things. And, you know, they're living the life and it looks like, you know, those guys are all set up and they're up. I think, you know, I would just encourage myself to, you know, stay out of it and just keep on the road that you're going on. We are so, so grateful for having you both as guests, for having the brother duo step onto the Walk the Walk podcast. And thank you very much for being so honest, for telling us about your childhood, for telling us about your career and how you've got to this position because... I honestly think, Peter, when you say, you you know, you're in a different league, doing something like this, where me and Lima, we are nobody, and we are literally creating this podcast just to help people, that shows, you know, you are you are both amazing. And so thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm at, I'm at home. I'm cool. <laughs> That's good. And that's a wrap on episode three. I'm so grateful for Mark and Peter for telling us the truth about what it really is like to create a business in the spotlight. Next Monday, since the world is still going nuts about GameStop and the truth behind maximizing your savings, I'll be talking to the incredible Bola Sol, Amazon's number one author for How to Save It and the founder of Rich Girl Chronicles. Don't forget to follow the podcast on social media, give it a like, follow, subscribe, and I'll see you next Monday. Thank you.